Hey everyone, I need your attention for one minute. This is not one of those ads. This is something that has changed my entire life. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that this is all about personal development as the foundation for everything good in your life. And this podcast is now sponsored by Growth Day, which is the world's first all-in-one personal development app. I mean, oh my gosh, can you imagine having everything all in one place that you need to create the life that you want? Now you can. So if you've been struggling with your motivation, your mood, your productivity, or your purpose, you have to check this out. Growth Day helps you consciously change your life and achieve your potential. It has all the self-improvement tools, motivational classes, and life coaching all in one place. So many of us want to improve our lives, but the question is how? Where do we start? What do we use? How do you get unstuck? How do you make self-improvement stick? Well, research shows how. It's when you consistently journal, track your habits, set goals, learn from empowering mentors, and challenge yourself that you'll be happier, healthier, and more successful. But let me ask you something. Where do you actually do all of your personal development work? I have to tell you that over 300,000 people use Growth Day for a reason. It works. It's the world's number one software for self-improvement. Growth Day has an amazing mindset journal that I absolutely love, a habit tracker, and a goal-setting system. In fact, I bet if you went to my stories this week, you probably saw me using the journaling app and telling you to do it too, because it's the first time that journaling has ever actually stuck consistently in my life because of this app. And best of all, Growth Day has live inspirational classes every single week from the world's top motivational speakers and life coaches. These are people who have impacted my life in huge ways. These are mentors who I already knew and loved. In fact, this is something that's so huge for me, you guys. I personally teach a class in Growth Day every single month, and it is one of the most fun things that I get to do, and I'd love to see you there. These classes will truly shift your life. There's always something new that you will learn. So join me in 300,000 Achievers Growing Our Lives with actual real intention. Visit growthday.com slash Lori for a free trial. Yes, you can try this for free. So go to growthday.com slash Lori and go live your best life. You guys, that's growthday.com forward slash Lori. And I can't wait to see you there. Welcome to the Earn Your Happy Podcast. I'm Lori Harder, founder of The Bliss Project, three-time fitness world champion, fitness expert, and cover model turned self-love junkie, lifestyle entrepreneur, and author. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a thought that will help you bust through your fears, connect to your soul, and get focused and clear so you can elevate your life, business, and relationships. We don't wait until we're ready for someone to tell us we're good enough. We take what we want and we anoint ourselves. Get ready to earn, own, and unapologetically rock your happiness every single day. Are you with me? Here we go.
Welcome back to the Earn Your Happy Podcast. And today I have the absolute honor of interviewing a very close friend of mine, Lindsay Sikornik. She is a transformational leadership coach, a yoga teacher, writer, travel junkie, and mother of four amazing children. She founded North Star Coaching in 2002, and since then, she's worked with hundreds of leaders in top organizations. She offers individual team coaching, keynote addresses, workshops, transformational yoga classes, online coaching programs, and she writes for online and traditional publications. She's passionate about being a catalyst for positivity and releasing untapped potential in working with leaders that are hungry to make a difference. And I can tell you personally that she has completely shifted my life with her talents. So let's get started. Lindsay, I am so incredibly excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I could not be more excited to be on the show. I'm so excited to chat with you always and especially on this amazing podcast that you've created mm. to inspire all of us. So, so many people. Thank you for this. Mm. Thank you so much. So you guys, Lindsay is a true soul sister of mine. And even though we haven't known each other that long, what has it been a year and a half, maybe two, two years mm -hmm. now? Two blisses. Almost cause... two years. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. So she does um, all of the yoga at my bliss projects and truly we are, um, we're in a mastermind together and that has been one of the most beautiful shifting things that has ever happened. And I think Lindsay, we need to talk about that um, after we kind of get into some of the juice here. So I really want people to get to know you on the level that I get the honor to know you. So why don't we start way, way back and just tell me about a time long before any of the things that you were doing now. All right, let's do it. I'll start with uh, going way back. And this is actually one of the places that you and I connect, I think, is is around our childhoods. Yes. we. I grew <laughs> up in northern Ontario, and we found this out, I think, after we'd known each other for quite a while. You were in, in northern Michigan, which are really so close to each other and very closely aligned culturally, I think. Yes. <laughs> Small towns and the whole thing that goes along with it. And I think another place that you and I connect is that we've laughed about the fact that I was a chubby kid and... <laughs> quite introverted, maybe awkward. I don't know. I didn't think of myself as awkward because I didn't even know to think about being awkward at the time. <laughs> and so I was that quiet, chubby, introverted kid. And I loved to read and I loved quiet time and, um, and was really that, that um, reflective, introverted kid who comes out a lot in the work I do now, but who also obviously picked up a few wounds along the way, being a chubby kid, getting teased, all that sort of stuff, which I'm obviously so grateful for now because those beautiful wounds give us um, opportunities to learn and grow. Mm -hmm. So that's that was my early childhood. And along with being that kind of quiet, chubby, introverted kid, I also had a huge dose of anxiety, which was another gift that I received mm. in this lifetime. And so that, those were some of my formative, I would say, uh, circumstances, realities that, that I had. And, and so having that anxiety, having that maybe feeling a little bit not part of the mainstream were really beautiful challenges for me to, to learn from and grow from throughout the course of my life. Mm. Yes, we do relate on that. <laughs> I think that we, mm -hmm. we talk about it all the time. And I think so much of, um, you know, the programs that we create or the things that we're drawn to and the, the, 
the different events that we go to are all reasons why we, we keep on challenging and testing ourselves, right? Just because awesome. it's like trying to break out of that introverted kid. Because I think, you know, we say that we're introverts because it's just a, a way to keep yourself safe. Like, okay, mm-hmm. if I keep to myself, you know, I don't put myself out there and people can't judge me. So, mm-hmm. so I know that we were chatting, um, the other day on one of our masterminds and I had said a quote, uh, that I had read talking about all art requires risk and it like hits you like a lightning bolt. So what Mm -hmm. parts of your life did that bring up for you? That was one of those absolute, absolutely beautiful aha moments when you said that. And it, yes, it was like a lightning bolt. I was like, yes, that is it. That's everything. A couple of things resonated for me. The first piece was that we were actually talking about some of the work that I do. And the fact that you called it art was really interesting. And it made me really think that my art, like I think so many of our art, is really the art of life. And these lessons that we learn, that we pick up along the way, to me, it's all about sharing and expressing and whatever that means for people in their lives. That is our art. How do we live our lives? How do we express? How do we share? How do we create? So that was the one piece that really resonated. But the second piece, which is the one I thought we could really dive a little bit more deeply into today, was this idea of risk and mm-hmm. risk being the direct route to that aliveness, that art, that creativity that we get to live in this lifetime. So that was really what resonated for me. And linking it back to the early childhood stuff that I was just just sharing risk and return are two things that have been really powerful themes in my life. So obviously struggling with anxiety my whole life, that fear of the unknown, the fear of what's to come, of of being in the unknown, of being not being in control, I actually avoided risk for most of my life. Mm-hmm. It was a real driving force for me was to try to control as much as I possibly could so that I wouldn't have to go to that super scary place for me of the unknown, of not knowing. Mm. So I, I imagine lots of people can maybe relate to that. And I've, I've been working with amazing, beautiful leaders, elite leaders of all walks of life, but particularly at very senior levels in organizations. And what I've learned over the last 15 years of that amazing work in, in transformational leadership coaching, as well as in my yoga teaching, is that fear of the unknown is such a, a universal truth. It's almost like we almost never grow out of it. It's more about how do we manage around it and learn to embrace and accept it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. When was, okay. So when was the first, can you trace it back to the first major moment that you were like, I have to do something big and risk something big in order to get out of the situation mm-hmm. that I'm in? Absolutely. So part of my anxiety and dealing with that anxiety was that I spent most of my, really the first half of my life, trying to limit any possible risk that I could. So for me, how that meant, like I was like, okay, let's Mm -hmm. control whatever we can so I can try to be as safe as I can in my Mm -hmm. mind. And how'd that work out for you? Yeah, you know what? (laughs) Actually, this is the irony of this story. And I think a lot of people can relate to this. How that manifested for me was that I studied really hard to get really good marks. I tried to overachieve at every single thing that I did so that I could be at choice about what I was 
able to do. For example, I could choose which university I went to so that I could control the marks that I got, so I could control the job that I got, so I could control the lifestyle that I got. You can see the pattern of mm -hmm. wanting to control as much as I possibly could, mm -hmm. leaving as little as I could up to the unknown. So for a while, it worked out pretty well. My ego was like, yeah, you know, you got a good marks, you got a good job. And, and again, at the cocktail parties and when that stuff matters, you, you look pretty good mm -hmm. on paper. <laughs> so my ego and my mind were well taken care of. But what ended up happening was I ended up getting the, the job that everybody wanted and that whole path unfolded. I ended up in global management consulting and I was always really strong with analytical um, projects and math. So I ended up in this job, which I was doing really well at, except that it was absolutely sucking my soul out of me. Mm. So in the end, it was a giant fail. So as much as I tried to control the risk around me, control the unknowns, what I was totally missing the boat on was listening to my highest self, listening to my heart, listening to what my soul, my spirit, whatever you want to call it, was really calling for. So I found myself sharing a tiny cubicle with my really good friend. We had both done really well in school and, and had graduated and received all these accolades and found ourselves sharing a tiny cubicle working 14 hours a day to save a bank money on pencils. I literally was doing that for my project. Mm -hmm. And I was feeling so empty, so disconnected. I was spending all my money. I would buy fancy purses. I would get takeout every night because I didn't have time to cook. And I could see very clearly that this was not a healthy or sustainable path for me to be on. So that was my first wake up call to understanding that avoiding risk at all costs actually has a huge cost. Because the truth is, it's not actually avoiding risk or being in control at all. It's the exact opposite. I was actually being controlled by my fear. Mm. So yeah, it's it's that paradox of you think you're, you're in ch at choice and in freedom. But the truth was, I was really a prisoner of my fear and doing everything I could to try to control that. Oh, so Lindsay, I want I want people to really understand because there's so many different versions of discomfort and fear and, you know, not taking risks and not letting your soul out or not accomplishing the things that you want. But, you know, I'm sitting here listening to you. And according to the way that I had lived, um, you know, I would have thought that somebody who was getting good marks, had the job that they wanted, um, doing all of these amazing things and being able to buy what they want, being able to, you know, get takeout when they want that, that would equal happiness. So wh uh -huh. what was that moment when you're like, wow, you realize the ladder's up against the wrong wall or what was the feeling? Was it like being, you know, how did you, how did you realize that all of these things that you thought would bring you happiness were not? And, and what happens at that point? Do you feel bad about it or? Oh, that I just got goosebumps from what you just said, because that is so important what you just said. And one of my really guiding mantras is be careful what you wish for mm -hmm. and not in a threatening way, but literally be careful what you wish for. Because I think so many of us are climbing the wrong ladder. We're playing all out in this giant game of life not understanding that we're in the entirely wrong game. Like maybe we shouldn't even be on the game board at all. <laughs> maybe mm. we should be somewhere else barefoot in a field. I don't know. <laughs> so for, for me, it was, um, and I think that's also a, a very uh, interesting topic because as we evolve as a society, as we, whether you think about it as the hier hierarchy of needs of Maslow's theory or spiritual evolution or however you want to think about it, mm. there's the chakra 
system, there are many, many different models that we could relate it to. It's as we do the work to create that safety, that security, maybe the emotional connection, there's always more work to do. So yes, I had security, I had financial security, I had all of these other things, but what was really the next stage for me in my evolution was aligning with my highest self. So more talking along the lines of being in alignment, living a life of vitality, being truly alive while you're living and not again being that idea of the walking dead, just a body going through the motions. So for me, how it manifested of was really a feeling of um, dissatisfaction, disconnection, um, I can't even articulate it, probably not to my stomach about, oh, what am I doing here? And just that feeling that it just wasn't right. It wasn't working for me. And I had an amazing gift in in my husband, Chris, who was not my husband at the time. He was my boyfriend. We had no commitments. But he was always very, very um, entrepreneurial and very much more comfortable with the idea of risk than I was. So he was really, and I think we all have those angels in our lives that mm-hmm. come and they they are those mirrors for us to say, maybe we can lie to ourselves. Maybe we can kid ourselves. <laughs> and he, he, you know what? I'm fine. I'm good. This is fine. It's working. I have the job. It's all good. I just got a new purse. So for sure, I'll feel better from the new purse. That's going to be great. <laughs> for about an hour. Um, for an hour. <laughs> exactly. And then, uh, but he was the one and, and he, he was uh, between, he, he does startups, which is actually one of the places that I've really been deeply impacted by this idea of risk and return is by being with him through five different startups. And so he um, wanted to go traveling and it was a time in our lives where we had the freedom, we had the ability to do it. And he kept calling me every single day. I was sitting in my cubicle, living a very empty life in, in my reality. And he kept saying, come on come with me. Let's go. Let's go see the world. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And I would kept saying to him, I'm like, Nope, I am not going. I am an independent woman. I'm going to do this job. I got this job. (laughs) No, I will not come traveling around the world with you. That is irresponsible and not who I am. And at the end of the day, he kept saying to me, but you're miserable. You hate your job. Why are you staying there? Why are you doing this? And I would get so mad at him because I didn't want to hear the truth. Mm. And I would try to lie to myself and convince myself that it was all good. Again, your ego, your mind is telling you that you're doing what you should be doing. And finally, after a couple of weeks of nonstop, he actually moved up to my cottage where my family all were. So my top values around family, around being in nature, around being free and flexible to travel were so not being honored mm. in that at that time. I see that now in hindsight. But he was that mirror for me, saying, speaking the truth to me, reflecting back to me the truth that I was not uh, willing to speak to myself. So definitely inviting everybody to surround ourselves with people who you are that for me. Our mastermind group is that for me. And I have beautiful, those are the people we collect, right? The people who are our mirrors, who, who hold us accountable to ourselves, to our highest selves. So he was that for me. And so that was really the the launching point for me to really dive into this path of embracing risk, stepping into my fears and leaping into the unknown. Mm. Okay. So that is, I love hearing that story. Um, So for people who are feeling this way, right? The people who are maybe sitting in their cubicle right now and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to pound my head against this wall. If I have to do this, Mm -hmm. you know, staple these things one more time. Um, Mm -hmm. And And that is great as well. We have to understand that sometimes things, you can't leap out of things. But Mm -hmm. if 
if that's me and I feel stuck right now and I know that my soul is calling me to something else or I don't even know what my soul is calling me to do, but it's not happy, what would Mm -hmm. you say? What were those first nudges or what's something small? That's so beautiful. Such a great question. And I love where you took that as well. My path of leaping into fear is not the only path. And I've done it in many micro, micro ways. Every day of my life, I do it and I Mm. practice it. So to me, there are actually four different steps that thank you for asking this. I actually just did a podcast on or a live feed on this this morning. So they're very fresh in my mind. (laughs) Thank you. So for me, there are four steps that that you can take if you find yourself in that position of not being aligned with your highest self, of feeling maybe that emptiness, that void, maybe even depression, anxiety, whatever those those feelings may be. The first one is being brutally honest with yourself about the truth of what is. And that's what I was saying earlier. I was kidding myself. I was probably lying to myself, convincing myself that everything was fine. It's all good. We're fine. We're fine. Mm -hmm. So really getting brutally honest with yourself, whether that's through journaling, whether it's through acknowledging emotions that you're feeling. So maybe you're crying for no reason, apparently Mm -hmm. no reason, or maybe you have people in your life who are mirroring back, maybe loved ones or family members who are saying to you, you know what, you're not yourself. Maybe you're a bit more irritable than you normally would be or whatever it is. It's really waking up to the truth of what is. And the truth of what is, is that you're not happy. You're not living your highest life at this point in time. Mm. So that's, that's step number one, right? Getting Mm. real acceptance, accepting the truth of what is. Once you've named it and accepted it, then you can do something about it. Yes. Oh my gosh. You actually just hit something with me. So before it's, that is so beautiful because it doesn't have to be these big pivotal moments of, I hate my job or, you know, something huge has to change. Like for me, I'm always, our feelings are always talking to us. So Mm -hmm. I am so incredibly happy right now, but this week I have felt a little bit off. Like you said, crying for no reason. Just on Monday, I was like, okay, why do I feel like crying? And today, Mm -hmm. um, my assistant was like, oh, you, you haven't been yourself like the last day. And honestly, literally by you saying that it's like being brutally honest, what's happening. I haven't given myself any time to relax away from people. So thank you for that. So it's not just the little things. It's, it's every single day we're being spoken to through these feelings and these questions, you guys write them down what she just said, and maybe put them up and ask yourself every single day, because you can have the most beautiful, amazing life, but maybe you got off course Mm -hmm. by one degree and this can bring you back. So thank you for that. And Lindsay, I have to, I want to cover this topic. I don't know if, if, um, well, we'll just go here now because you and I could talk for hours and hours, but, (laughs) but I talk about you all the time. I quote you all the time on this because I was in a, uh, at your retreat in Costa Rica, which you're in Costa Rica right now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but I was at your retreat this last November and you had talked about, um, the fact that you collect people and, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think that what we do is we hold people to a standard and we hold an expectation on people. And what I used to do is I was like, I would meet women and be like, oh, well, if they're not, you know, best friend material, then I don't want to invest in this person or be friends with this person because I really, I hold the standard of these women that I'm around or these people that I want to be with. And guess what happened? I didn't have a whole lot of people in my life and people would disappoint me. And you Mm -hmm. had said, collect people. You know, there's this woman who I like having her in my life just because she she's so fashionable and I love to learn about fashion from her. And I have this person who's so great with baking and I love to just learn about, you know, recipes and learn, you know, from this person because Mm -hmm. 
people can't be everything. So tell me just, mm-hmm. I would love for you to elaborate on that whole, that whole thing. Oh yeah. That is so one of my favorite topics. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> um, and I've so collected you on so many <laughs> levels. I love <laughs> so, it. So happy to have you in my collection. Um, yeah, no. And that actually goes to the second stage about talking about what people should do when they're not happy in their life, which is change your attitude, change your perspective. You and I have talked about this a lot. So you make up an assumption there are no good people around or I need to have these friends who are all things to me or this partner Mm. or this job or this um, place that I live in. It needs to be everything to me or else it's no good and Mm. I don't want anything. And that applies again to your job, to your relationships, to anything that you can think about. And so collecting people for me is really a shift in perspective. And this is how I lead my entire life I assume that every single person who I cross paths with, and I mean literally like people who walk by me on the Mm -hmm. sidewalk, literally everybody is there to teach me something, Mm -hmm. that they have a gift to share with me. So instead of looking for the reasons I don't like somebody or that they're annoying or whatever, I really hold this belief that if I ask enough questions and the right questions and stay curious enough and open enough, they have some beautiful golden nugget of understanding to share with me. And it could be their story, just understanding a different way of living. Again, like you said, it could be fashion, it could be humor, it could be that they're there to make me laugh in that moment. But it's a really empowering belief and perspective to think, first of all, not all things need to be everything for you. So if it's the job that you're not loving, I do a ton of work with people on career transition. I've worked with hundreds of people over the years and inevitably they come to me and they say, like you said, the best friend, they're not perfect. They say, I hate my job. I want to quit this job. I got to get out of here. Let's do it. Help me do this. So the very first thing we do is we break it down, as you just said, and say, well, which parts of your job do you not like and which parts of your current reality are not working for you? And once you break it down into bite-sized pieces, you can start to um, celebrate and enhance the pieces that are working for you. Because inevitably, there are maybe you like the people there, but you don't like the kind of work that you're doing. Or maybe you like your friend because she's funny, but she gossips too much. So there are pieces for sure that you can always build on. And that's that idea of appreciative inquiry or a Mm -hmm. strengths-based approach. So starting with what's working in your job, in your relationships, in your whatever, And changing your attitude from this is all bad, this is terrible, to which pieces do I like and can I do more of those? Or um, inserting also a different um, attitude around whatever it may be, like I'm here to learn or this too shall pass or understanding why you're doing what you're doing. But yeah, that idea of, of focusing on what works, on what pieces are there to teach you whatever it is that you need to learn and just... Um, letting go of the parts that aren't aligned with where you're at right now in your life. I was going to say your highest self, but it may just be that you're not there right now or that it's striking a nerve that you haven't healed yet in your own development. Right. So maybe they subconsciously remind you of a critical grandmother or something that you haven't Mm -hmm. made that connection yet. So just allowing people in your life, it's really about allowing actually that word is one of the most powerful words, Mm -hmm. allowing people and situations to be in your life, receiving whatever it is that you're meant to receive from them. And, and um, I guess creating that, that boundary or that protection around ourselves for the parts of the situation or the person that are maybe hurting us in the short term or are feeling toxic for us mm-hmm. at this moment in time. 
Mm. Okay. So I love what you just said, because I think people, um, I see it so much because I see it in me. I I saw, this is exactly how I was. I was searching for the perfect thing and I was searching for the perfect people in my life, the perfect job, the perfect day, the perfect, you know, what, whatever that was. And I, it's not about going and making these massive changes or being in a different place than you are. It's about learning to, like you said, allow and accept and learn from where you are. And all of a sudden your life turns into this life that you fall in love with, even as it is. So do you think that's possible? How do you explain that to people that it's not like, it's not even like you're making this big shift most times. It's like Mm -hmm. you are shifting how you feel about where you're Mm -hmm. at. Do you have any information uh, on that? Oh my gosh. This is like my practice every minute of every day, what we're talking about right now. So I have four babies, as you know, and please say their names so that we can, cause uh, I just, okay. their names are my favorite. <laughs> okay. So I've got rain and she's 11. And then I've got my little man true with a T he is nine. And then I've got birdie, which is not her real name, but it's the name that she insists on being <laughs> called. <laughs> because she's amazing she's totally a birdie so yes oh she's such a birdie so she's six and then Baylor is four and so I had six no four babies in six years wow and I remember at the time that is an admittedly challenging time in your life when you are in the trenches pregnant nursing up all night my husband was traveling all the time at the time he was running his fifth startup it was crazy he was gone probably half the time And we had no family um, nearby in the city where we were living. So I was really on my own quite often with, I had a nanny for sure, but um, from that kind of village perspective, I I was doing a lot of single parenting. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and people would stop me and they'd say, why are you so happy all the time? Like, (laughs) what's going on right now? And they would keep, and I was legitimately in a state of bliss the vast majority of the time. And I look back now and I didn't really think about it at the time because it was just the way I was but I developed a practice I think I'm naturally a person who who likes to see the cup as half full I kind of Mm -hmm. find the silver lining and I've developed practices over the years which is such an important topic for us to cover so you were talking about self-care definitely for me um, things can start to go really off the rails when I'm not taking care of myself. So with each of my babies, I was, for me, running was a huge foundational part of my life for many years, as well as yoga. So I would start, sometimes I would get up at like in the fours to get up and do my run or get my yoga in or whatever it was. Those were in the crazy trenches days. But the point was that, and I would hire a nanny to go to watch my kids as they got older. So I could go to um, my yoga class. And I asked my husband to help out and he, (laughs) thank you for this, was clear that I was so crazy without my yoga. He would actually beg me to go to my yoga, but he's like, no, no, you go, you go really, please. You go to yoga. I'm good. I got this. You go. Uh, but it's acknowledging again, that brutal honesty about what, what, um, keeps you in that place of gratitude of appreciation. So number one, self-care number two, I just mentioned the word gratitude, always, always um, looking for what's working, practicing that gratitude. And one of the um, mantras that I use all the time, I use it every day, is I ask myself, where's the bliss in this moment? Mm. So even when I'm having my kids having a temper tantrum in the middle of the grocery store, I've got another one with a dirty diaper. And, uh, you know, maybe I have to nurse. So you're like in this moment, (laughs) this 
storm is going on around you, I will challenge myself in those moments to say, where's the bliss in this moment? Mm. Often I'll go to like the humor of the situation. Like this is just funny. Or maybe I go to places like, you know what? My kids are healthy. Nobody's dying here. Yeah, this is awkward. Everyone's looking at me like I'm a bad mom. I don't care, <laughs> whatever. But I, I do. And I, another tool that I use a lot on that note of the bliss in this moment is I go to that meta view of, I do a lot of reading. I re, I watch a lot of kind of independent films and I've always been very fascinated by that the underbelly, the stories of, of struggle, of hardship, of darkness for people, because it really puts things in perspective for me when I am facing challenging situations in my life. It, it helps me. I remember we read a book called the good earth by Pearl Buck. And it was about this family and this, legacy in um, ancient China. It went through generations. And there's a scene when they're so poor, the family, that they have to eat dirt. Mm. The parents have to feed their, their kids dirt because there's at least there are at least some minerals in there. And it was such a profoundly moving piece of this book that that's sort of the mantra that Chris and I actually will go back to. And, and I mentioned earlier, he's he's had five startups, which some have been successful, some have failed. We've lost everything. We've had times where we've had to sell our house all this other risk and return kind of conversation. And no matter what was going on with kids, you know, crying and financially not having any idea how things were going to unfold, we would look at each other and we'd say, well, we're not eating dirt. <laughs> and it really became that mantra of yeah. like, put things in perspective, right? Like our kids are healthy. We're healthy. We're not eating dirt. So For it's sure. like when you go to that worst case scenario, that's actually a really valuable place to go sometimes. It's like, what's the worst thing that could happen? Mm. And once you get to that place, chances are it's going to be better than that. But really getting real about those fears controlling us and running away from fear, but actually diving into it and saying, well, what is the worst thing that can happen? And so that can really start to make any situation feel more manageable, more um, positive and more, more aligned with, with that state of gratitude and bliss. Mm, I love that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So mm -hmm. getting back to risk and return, um, cause everything we do, right. Everything good <laughs> involves mm -hmm. that risk. And I really think that's a huge part of, you know, you and I mastermind biweekly, um, with our friend Danette, who's going to be on here as well. And I think we get on there just to support each other in the risk because it's just about going somewhere new. But I think a lot of people associate um, anything risky with fear because it's all about being safe, 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 safe. But as we are learning and as we always talk about, being safe typically means you're not growing whatsoever, right? Because you never grow from anything where you're like, this is so comfortable. Let me just lay in this lounge chair <laughs> safe for hours with my family, you know, nestled close next to me. And that's a beautiful time. We have to have that. It's effort and surrender, like you always say. Um, but tell me about that. Like what, why is risk so important in life? Well, I, I totally agree with what you said. To me, that risk, that idea of edge, for me, it really represents the edge of aliveness. It's where growth happens. It's like mm -hmm. when you're obviously a, a world expert on fitness. So when you tear those muscles a little bit, that's where they get stronger and they recover and they grow. And to me, that's what risk is all about. It's finding that threshold, that edge, that place where you push yourself just a little bit or even a lot outside of your comfort zone. And for the sake of aliveness, of growth, and of evolution, really, 
of our, our lives and of our spirits and, uh, and just learning and growing, which to me is, is the reason we're all on the planet, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's so true. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, it's any little thing too. And I, and I have to tell you, I see it all. I see people back out of it all the time because, you know, between the work that you and I do, um, you know, you teach yoga now, you do different retreats. And I have to tell you that I'm just going to go back to using the example of even going to your retreat. Like I've never been to Costa Rica. I knew it was, you know, in the jungle and it, I would be outside of my comfort zone and I wouldn't really know anybody there. And I had no idea we were, what we were going to be doing and I didn't want to know. Um, And it was during a really busy time in our lives. So in November, it was just like holidays, family, different things launching, um, things coming up. And it would have been so easy for me to cancel because I have to be honest with you, there was so much fear coming up around just the flight and being in the jungle and being away from my business when things were in momentum. And it would have been so much more comfortable to stay home. I mean, I can't even tell mm-hmm. you as it got closer, mm-hmm. it's like at first I was excited and I like to book things when I'm excited, when my soul is mm-hmm. truly saying, yes, leap, do it. Cause that's the real me. That's the real desire mm-hmm. coming out. So mm-hmm. I book things when I'm excited and then sometimes it's like, I'll want to back out of them, but I know that mm-hmm. that's just the discomfort. That's the fear. It's because mm-hmm. I know that I'm going somewhere where I'm really going to grow. And mm-hmm. you know, what ended up happening. It was like, I got there and I had so many stories, so many breakthroughs, so many things that I'm still sharing with people just from this one event. So that's why mm-hmm. what I want people to open their eyes. Like, why do we, what comes in, how do we decipher between what is real fear and mm-hmm. what is just, you know, fear of getting outside of your comfort zone? Oh my gosh. So many juicy pieces of what you just said. I love it. (laughs) And uh, thank you for sharing your experience about our retreat. That is exactly what we created it for. Uh, Your experience down here in Costa Rica has been, was a really a intentionally created recreation of my own growth that has happened through travel specifically to, to this place in Costa Rica where we are right now. And so that's, such a beautiful question around fear, around risk, risk and return. What is real risk? What is actual risk? What is worth being afraid of, right? There are things that could go wrong in life mm-hmm. versus manufactured, exaggerated, more psychological, psychologically perceived risk. So some of the ways that I think about that are in terms of um, calculated risk. So when I studied business at school, and I always remember the, the models around finance, and it was all about risk and return, and the greater the risk, the greater the potential return, it's the whole stock market model versus your, you know, your bonds and all those safer things in the banking system, which is a kind of a boring topic. <laughs> However, the principles mm-hmm. apply everywhere. It's like calculated risk, and how much risk are you comfortable with at this moment in time? So that idea of risk tolerance or risk aversion So these are the things that we get to explore in ourselves. And I know I've seen you since I've known you already. The more we leap into our fear, the more we embrace risk, the higher our tolerance for risk gets. Mm. So when I think about risk in return, number one, I already mentioned this before, but I like to think about separating actual true risk. So, for example, we're in Costa Rica. There are scorpions here. There is a risk that me or one of my children or somebody in our family could get stung. That is legitimate. That's a real thing that could happen. Mm -hmm. The water goes off. The power goes off. Those are legitimate things that could go wrong. You know, our phones could have not worked today when we had this beautiful call scheduled. So those Mm -hmm. are legitimate, real risks that I I take into account. I think about them and I I kind of put them into my, my mind about things to think about. But what 
starts to potentially control us or limit us is when we either put too much weight around those potential risks or we start to manufacture unnecessary risks that we worry about. Like, for example, what will they think of me? What if I fail? A lot of these more um, ego-driven, I like the idea of the, the little gremlins in our minds that are trying to keep us safe, trying to keep us in our comfort zones, but that are ultimately getting in the way of our highest selves, which is where you talked about your intuition or when you have your soul really saying, yes, this is it, this is it. So what I like to think about is clearing my mind so that I can limit all those spinning risks, the overthinking or the fear-based ego-driven risks. And some of the practices that I use are yoga. I practice almost every day. I like to, um, meditation is one of the tools I use to quiet my mind so that I can have clarity around what is actual risk versus fabricated and unnecessary fear. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I like to connect with nature a lot that calms my mind. It makes me again, put things in perspective. Like when you remember that we're just part of this giant world in this giant universe, it starts to make my fears that feel so big to me inside start to feel quite a bit smaller, like really in the big scheme of things, does it really matter if I look stupid on this one post that I do on Instagram? Not really. Mm -hmm. The world's not going to end. Mm -hmm. Whatever it may be, giving that perspective of something bigger. So developing practices that keep running huge exercise, journaling, any of these things that allow our minds to quiet will help to distill out the true risk the truth of what is innately risky versus those unnecessary, maybe fabricated perceived risks. So that's number one. And the second exercise I love to do is really thinking about this idea of um, what we can influence or control or just be aware of. And I picked up this tool. I forget if it was Stephen Covey. It's not mine, so I won't take credit for it. I think it might've been Stephen Covey, but this idea of drawing circles on a page, like a, like a bullseye basically. And on the inner circle, is what we can control. The next circle out is what we can influence. And then beyond that are just things that we can be aware of. So when I'm evaluating a situation, like for example, should I move my family to Costa Rica or not? I think about what are the risks that I'm in control of? So I can control maybe how they're educated. I can control the house that we rent. I can ask about medical care. I can think about things that are within my control. Then on the next level out, it's what can I influence? So I may not be fully in control of it, but I can certainly influence it. So um, maybe you can influence, um, again, the, the water quality by making recommendations. You still can't control whether or not the water gets turned off, but you can do your best to influence it. Or if something's going on in the neighborhood, like maybe people are playing loud music, you can try to influence it by asking them to turn it down. You may not be able to control it, but you can at least put some energy into trying to make a difference. Anything outside of that are things that you can just be aware of. So for example, if a giant thunderstorm rolls through, I could spend my whole day worrying about, oh my gosh, what's going to happen when the thunderstorm comes through, but there's nothing I can do about it. So those are the places when I like to think about letting it go and there's, there's nothing you can do about it. So focus most of your energy on the things that you can control, on the things that you can do something about, like your mindset, like your immediate surroundings, like what you eat, like how you exercise. Those are things that you can control. Then the next amount of effort and energy are around the things that, that you could have some influence on. You can ask, you can negotiate, you can try to get something that you're looking for. Anything beyond that is really going back to that practice of just surrendering, letting it go, and accepting that whatever is going to be is going to be. 
Mm. I think a lot of us spend a lot of energy worrying about those those risk factors that are so far outside of our control that there's nothing we could do about it anyways. So that's the place where it's such a waste of energy. Mm. So, so basic. And it just like total, it completely struck me as you were talking. It's people, people are upset or unhappy because we're focusing on what we can't control period. Yes. So instead of going in in our lives, where can I make different choices or changes or how can I see this differently instead it's you know what we what we focus on grows and when we focus on what we can't control we feel out of control and chaotic and like life is um you know like we're not in control of our lives (laughs) we're living someone else's life because we're not looking at the spaces in which we can create Mm -hmm you know, uh, something new, a new experience, a new thought around something, a new idea. So Lindsay, tell me about, because I think so many people, and this is just expanded upon, um, you know, trying to maybe control other people. Maybe they're not showing up as you want, because I think a lot of times when people are either making transition or change, they're most worried about what people think. And some people get a lot of pushback from their family. So, Mm -hmm. you know, what do we do in that case? This is such a beautiful topic. Um, so many different things to, to work around with that. Uh, I'm going to start with what we can control because of, we were just talking about this. <laughs> so the first place I would suggest that people look is internally. So start to be aware of, and journaling can be really helpful for this, or talking with trusted friends who are feeling your vibe at the time. That's why we have our mastermind group because mm-hmm. we we all align and we get each other so completely. So, um, so I would, I would do the work first of all, to be, again, be brutally honest with yourself about how much resistance is actually coming from the other people and how much of it is fear-based that you're making up or you're assuming they're not going to support you. So that's Mm -hmm. question number one, how much truth is there to your assumption that they're not supporting you? So that's just, the first place to start. Again, I mentioned this earlier, it's highly possible and even likely that you're making up a story about how they're going to react to your changes based on your beliefs about who they are or who they've been in the past or where whatever the case may be. So that's number one, is to actually start to get real about the truth of, of how much resistance there actually is. So let's pretend you do that work. And then you're like, you know what? No, there's definitely resistance. Like it's overt. <laughs> they are not supporting me. Um, step number two, I would say is that the back to the circles of influence and control that I just talked about, what can you do to, either, what can you control and what can you influence? So one of the things you could control is how you respond to that. So one of my friends, um, Catherine from this amazing company called Social Common, she had this mantra the other day that she shared, which is like, suck it. (laughs) So I've adopted that. And when I notice people are not, you know, picking up what I'm putting down, I'm like, suck it. I don't care. You know, unfollow me. I don't care. If you don't like what I'm doing, don't listen. Turn around. I don't care. So that's one thing you can control. You can control if you go to that place of like, oh my gosh, they don't like me. They're not feeling me. They're not supporting me. Or you can be like, suck it. I'm going to do it anyways. That's up to you. You can control that. So I offer suck it as a mantra for anyone who's looking for a good mantra. So, so I know you don't say that to their face, but we can say it internally. Well, <laughs> or I do don't you? Know. I don't know. It depends on the person. I'm just yes, kidding. That, I, that's I, true. That's true. 
I haven't said it yet, but I will never say never. <laughs> There's always a first time for everything in my life. So, so yeah, controlling how you respond again, back to the breathing, back to the journaling, back to the whatever. The other thing you can do is you might be able to influence their reaction. So this is where I would say you might go to them. And this to me would be the, the right thing to, well, I don't want to say right because everything's perfect, but you could go to them and say, you know what? I noticed that you're not supporting what I'm doing right now. Can we talk about that? And I would really encourage people to not go in with the agenda of proving to whoever it is why what you're doing is the best thing ever. Mm -hmm. Instead, I would invite them to go in with an openness and a curiosity. And how you can engage in that conversation is by using what and how questions. So what is this change in me um, bringing up for you? How are you perceiving me in this new place that I'm in? So getting them talking, getting the other person talking you may, they may have a whole thing going on inside of them that you're totally unaware of. Maybe it's triggering in them. Well, you know, when I was a kid, this thing happened and you know, it's a beautiful opportunity to potentially bridge that gap. So that's number one is to start to be curious and engage them in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And from that, then you can ask for what you want. So I've had to do this in, in my own marriage, in my own relationships. So as you change and grow and evolve over time, you need to ask for what you want. Somebody told me years and years and years ago, in life, we need to ask for 100% of what we want, 100% of the time, and be open to negotiate. Mm. So for me, for example, in the last couple of years, we've had a major shift in our marriage and our family in that Chris has really um, wound down his work just as I am running out of the gates and so excited to get back really deeply into my work after having so many babies in so many years and cranking it up even more. So we've had to renegotiate. So things like I've had to, um, you know, ask him to, to um, shift our rules, for example, with who does what with the kids or grocery shopping or whatever these, these existing agreements that we had into place, we've had to renegotiate and, and really delve deeply into, into the awkwardness of what does this new shift look like for each of us. So that's the mm. influencing part. And the other thing that you can control and influence, which is what you and I and Danette do, is you can really influence who you have around you. So if they're just not getting you, and this is very, very common, often our closest people are the last ones to get on, on board with whatever the change, because they have the most at stake, really. If you shake things up and change the dance, they're the ones who are probably most affected by it initially. So there's that piece of acceptance and not again, back full circle to our earlier conversation. Don't expect them to be all things to you. Take what they're there to, to give you, receive the gifts they're there to give you. And maybe they're there to be your, your challenge, your obstacle, your Ganesha in, in uh, the Hindu mythology, the, the person there to challenge you, to grow, to prove yourself but don't expect them to get it all maybe right away. And so turn around and build your support elsewhere, whether it's through friends, through coaching, through, um, I know you have a beautiful group in your, in your fitness community. I have my yoga community. Don't expect your closest loved ones to necessarily be able to support you in every single thing that you do. I've noticed in my journey that often I just go off and do my own thing. But as time passes, all of a sudden, those loved ones, they all of a sudden, they become your number one fans. Sometimes mm -hmm. they just need a little more time mm -hmm. to process it. And time is always a factor. Mm -hmm. So I would really encourage people to avoid going to blame or resentment because that is just a colossal waste of energy. And go instead to curiosity 
and to asking for what they want. And then I would, I would really encourage people to, to create their own realities by going, if they're not feeling supported in their closest relationships, then I would challenge people and invite people to go out and create the support they're seeking instead of blaming the people around them for not giving them what they need. Oh my gosh. Okay. So creating, creating support. And I want to go into this with risk because or talking about risk because the more support that we create for ourselves, the more willing and likely we will be to take risk because the people and support that we create are like that safety net that no matter what we do around that risk or no matter how big we fail, it's okay because we have this, these supportive people, um, Mm -hmm. around what we're doing. So Mm -hmm. like before, um, before our mastermind, maybe I didn't feel like I would have women that I could literally cry to when I needed Mm -hmm. to, when I failed Mm -hmm. miserably or when I got rejected or when I got turned down to do something. And I have to tell you that I, I, you know, you and Danette and some other women were definitely there for me when I had a a huge call with a a publisher and I got rejected and you know what I needed someone to cry to or just to say it to and quite Mm -hmm. honestly I don't think I would have done and been able to learn as much as I did from that call if I wouldn't have had that support nor maybe would I have taken the call maybe I would have felt like I wasn't ready yet or not ready to be rejected if that was to happen so that's what I want people to understand what do you think you know what is something that you can do to really make sure outside of even masterminding that you have that support is there do you reach out to people what if I feel like I don't have that right now and I really want it hmm. oh my gosh I'm like oh I have got like butterflies right now I'm so excited about this topic <laughs> um I mostly also want to highlight the beauty of this support around risk of having your tribe we talk a lot about this word tribe it is so powerful you have been such a pivotal person in my life in when you invited me to teach at bliss you followed your intuition you are the absolute guru of this you trust your intuition you pulled me out of total obscurity and you put me literally on the world stage to teach yoga I would never in a million years have even dreamt of raising my hand to do that never mind actually getting up and doing it so thank you thank you thank you for that as well as Thank Mm -hmm. you. And, and so that support, it comes when you, yes, when you fail and you fall, but it also is that mirror or that spotlight to say, no, we know you can do this. And so we, you, you elevate those around you in everything that you do. So thank you for that. That is another key part of it's the, the lows and the failure, but it's also being there to celebrate and elevate each other. Mm. So in building those tribes, um, they really, this goes back to the beautiful power of vulnerability extending yourself, being vulnerable, crying, laughing, making eye contact with people. You, I know you do this and I do this all the time. I'm such a nerd. I like, I'm like, Mm -hmm. hi, I really like you. I think we could be friends. (laughs) And it's as Mm -hmm. basic as that. It's like smiling at that person that you may see all the time and just making that first move to make that human to human connection. Mm -hmm. And the support, this is such a beautiful topic because the support can be as deeply connected as what we have with our biweekly mastermind calls, but sometimes it can be just a smile from another person, but it's about opening your eyes and being vulnerable enough to receive the support that is all around you. So I gave, I gave that example of the temper tantrum in the grocery store because I've been there so many times, (laughs) but sometimes it's like looking up from the temper tantrum and you're, you're, 
downward spiral, whatever that may be in that moment, and seeing that kind person who's the one person in the crowd not judging you, but who's smiling at you and, and with their eyes saying, I've been there, I, I, I see you, I'm with you. Or maybe they, they make a joke with your kid, but receiving that support. Sometimes this is so important with our family or our close loved ones. We're spending so much time and effort trying to convince them to support us. It's like we're in this corner with all our loved ones and we're like, please support me, please support me, please support me. And they're just not feeling it right now. But if we were to just turn around and look at the whole world behind us, you will see so much support available to you. You just need to shift your gaze, you know, look around and be open and vulnerable to receiving the support that is probably all around you if you just ask for it. And sometimes you don't even need to ask for it. You just need to receive what's already being sent to you and say yes to receiving that. Oh my gosh. Yes. I feel like I'm Mm -hmm. like, yes, sister. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. So we've been talking a lot about a mastermind. What can you explain uh, for everybody what a mastermind is or how they could create one if they wanted the support? Yes, yes, yes. Um, I actually created this in Toronto because I was so inspired by the mastermind group that we did. I created these goddess groups, which men are also invited to now. So it's gods and goddesses based on the, based on the, I've actually recorded a video, a how to video. So I will release that and um, make it available to everybody for free. If you want to create your own dialogue, your own support, your own gods and goddesses group or mastermind group. So basically how we operate, we three and how I created these goddess groups as well, is that we open with a grounding exercise, depending on where you're coming from in that moment. It may be a prayer, it may be meditation, it may be some breath work, just really getting present to the moment and inviting the magic that's all around us to be present in our connection. And then where we go from there is uh, separating we our group as you know is a group of three and I, I structured the goddess groups this way as well to break into triads where each person gets 15 minutes to share and it could be sharing a celebration a win something that's going really well for them or it could be a place that they're really struggling and needing support um, and the other two people are there to I always offer multiple different roles for the other two people They can either just witness, sometimes we just need to talk things out (laughs) and Mm -hmm. process. So sometimes you're just there to witness and hold the space. And that is so powerful in and of itself. Sometimes you may coach the person. So that's when I talked about the what and how question. So what was that like for you? How could you handle this? And really getting them more of an inquiry-based approach to say, get that person to come up with their own insights, their own ahas, which can be very powerful. And then the third possible way is to give advice, mentor. You've been there. You've done that. I know we do that a lot in our mastermind group here. Talk to this person. I've already done that here. Here's your connection for that. Or I've already handled this. Try this with your mom or whoever, whatever the situation is that people are talking about. So that's basically how it works. And then we do 15 minutes each person and giving feedback as, as, um, is people feel called to do. And then closing usually with, with maybe some gratitude or just, just whatever completion. I'm really a big fan of completion. We do this in our retreats. I do this in in my coaching calls and and in any conversation that is um, particularly emotional or or at all, which is saying whatever it is you need to feel complete. And we actually use the words, as you know, in our group, we say, I'm complete. Mm -hmm. So just 
acknowledging that you've said anything that needs to be said and likewise the other two people or however many people are in your group have acknowledged whatever they need to say and really finding the beauty of completion and then that's Mm. it and then and then getting set up logistically for whenever you're going to meet again the next time Mm. I have to tell you that it's been probably one of the biggest shifts and propellers of my entire life has been doing that because I think that Mm -hmm. when we come to a place of need or come to a place of um, just where we feel sad or not good enough that we isolate and this keeps Mm -hmm. you from isolating it pulls you out it doesn't let you sit long in that you know that that feeling because you remember there's you're reminded by these beautiful people in your life that there's more that you're more that you know there there's um, solutions to think solution based to get the solutions from other people that we can't do this alone that we are so tribal so when we isolate we truly are um, just amplifying that prob whatever problem or whatever feelings we have and when you get together with people they pull you out no matter what so um, that's why I just think it's so vital for people to know so where can we um find that video or where will it be hosted we're gonna have it on uh, northstarcoaches.com and i also have a youtube channel under Lindsay sikornik you can find it on youtube and we'll be releasing it uh, probably in the next week so i'll have that out okay Lindsay, where can we follow you because everybody's gonna uh, want your your wisdom i swear you're like my yeah. ancient <laughs> wisdom you know guru trapped in the smoking hot body stop don't stop I love it thank you thank you I'm I'm the mirror of who you are for me so thank thank you you for that (laughs) so Instagram is North Star Coach and Facebook is Lindsay Sikornik awesome YouTube channel also Lindsay Sikornik and um also newsletter on northstarcoaches.com. So releasing video updates and all kinds of uh, yoga, transformational coaching videos all coming out uh, through the newsletter as well. You guys follow her on Facebook as soon as possible while she's in Costa Rica because, well, you're going to be there for a while. So they're good Mm -hmm. Um, because she does Facebook lives just about every day. I think I've been seeing, you know, I'll tell Mm -hmm. you it's from the beach. It's just beautiful um, little nuggets of wisdom for your day that really shift your perspective in your life and what you're feeling like. And so, um, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna share her with all of you. I'm going to be generous because she's one of my favorite people (laughs) and she's going to be yours too. So Linz, before we, um, close couple last questions for you. So Mm -hmm. you're on, um, an elevator with someone and you only have one minute and they ask you, what are the keys to happiness? real fast. What do you tell them? Find the bliss in each moment. Mm. Ask yourself, where's the bliss in this moment? And you can find it when you look for it. For me, it's like the breeze on my cheek from the wind, the sun, the look, my kid's bum. Oh my God, I could die for their bums. (laughs) Finding, (laughs) finding the bliss in this moment. Where's the bliss in this moment? That's it. Oh, and I, I think of that all the time because you are always in my ear with that and it's shifted so much for me. Okay. So favorite, um, favorite food. Oh, you, that's the hardest question you've asked me all day. I love it all. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You stumped me on the food question. Okay. You know, I gotta go. I gotta go for the chocolate. It's just, it makes me happy. I have it every single day, dark organic real Mm -hmm. chocolate it makes me happy 
I don't know what it does. I know there's some hormonal thing. You know way more about that than I do. I can tell you it makes me happy. And I also use chocolate as um, a real ritual for myself around. I used to really judge my inner fat kid and that little girl who was chubby and loved to eat and was that kind of slothy kind of judging around that. And instead, now I invite her back into my beautiful life and I allow the pleasure that she enjoys. So my chocolate for me is really about celebrating pleasure, enjoyment of food and of being a woman and all the beautiful, magical, pleasurable things that we have in this lifetime. Mm. That's why you're, you're like my spirit animal. You said chocolate. I'm like, yes, you are talking to my heart right now. <laughs> all right. So favorite place that you've ever traveled to? Cause you are like my wild gypsy friend who goes all over. Mm. That also is a hard, wow. You were like, you've got these hard questions coming at me. <laughs> so Co Costa Rica was definitely my soul healing place for the last 15 years. I mean, 10 years. Now it's shifting more to me being a place where I share my magic and mm -hmm. I'm offering more retreats and more giving back here. So now, right now, Bali for me is really calling to my soul because I, I crave places that um, create space for me to really do my own uh, reflecting, my own healing, getting away. I, that introverted, actually, it's come full circle, that kind of introverted, quiet little girl. I still crave those times away. And so Bali right now for me, I was spent a month there last November by myself with no kids. It was the riskiest, craziest, scariest thing that I had ever done by far. You were with me during that journey. Mm -hmm. I almost canceled. You and Danette are like, no, you go, you do this, we got you. And I did, and it was the most deeply transformational experience that I could have ever dreamed of. So mm -hmm. Bali right now, I have to say, is my next. Being in Costa Rica is the, the ultimate blessing and gift, but Bali is kind of the place my soul is saying, yeah, you got to get back there. You got to get back there. So mm -hmm. I'm listening. All right. <laughs> well, I plan to eat chocolate in, in Bali with you. So let's do it. <laughs> that's going to happen. That's kind of what we do. We're like, oh, that sounds fun. Okay, let's plan something. And then that's how it happens. So all right, you yep. guys, um, Lindsay, thank you so much for being on. I loved chatting with you. Oh my gosh. I had so much fun. We could talk for four days straight. Maybe we'll do that in Bali while we eat chocolate. Yeah, I love will. it. I'm, so I'm going to have thank to have you on again for sure. Thank you so much for uh, for continuing to to elevate me and invite me into your beautiful, beautiful magic that you're creating. And I'm I'm so honored to be a part of your magic. Thank mm, you. Always and forever. You can't get rid of me. So mm. you, <laughs> you guys, if you loved this episode, please make sure to share with a friend, maybe someone you know who could really use um, a, a Lindsay and some of her wisdom in their lives. So you guys share. And until then, please make sure that you do something to make yourself proud today and earn your happy until next time. Bye-bye. Thank you guys so much for spending this time with me on the earn your happy podcast. I am so glad that you stopped by. If you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would love it, that would be absolutely amazing and we would be forever grateful. Also, please leave us a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving us an honest thought, an honest comment. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you want to hear more of. It would really help us out on our journey to helping thousands and thousands of people. Until then, don't forget to earn your happiness. Thanks again, guys. Bye-bye. Hey, do you know what the big secret is this year? 
And it shouldn't be a secret because this should be your biggest focus. It is building your community. I am always working on building and nurturing my community and everyone is talking about the power of community. Without an online community, you just cannot grow organically or create a real movement, which is what I know that we're all after. And you can build trust or monetize your audience. When you get community right, not only does your audience grow faster, but so do your sales. But where's everybody going to be managing their communities these days? And a lot of online entrepreneurs and thought leaders are turning to circle.so. Circle is an all-in-one community platform. It lets you host content and create discussions, live streams, group chats, and memberships all under your own brand. And what's so cool about Circle.so is that you don't even need a website or Facebook group. Instead, Circle lets you build your own community site where you can host content and manage your members. You can even create locked and unlocked content spaces, groups, and classes. How freaking cool is that? You can put your content behind a paywall too, and you can charge different amounts of money for different spaces on your community site. Circle.so is famously easy to use, and it has a free 14-day trial for you, so you can go check it out, see if you like it, see if you love all the options. Just go to circle.so. Go check it out right now, you guys. Imagine being able to manage your community, start group chats and live classes, and accept payments all in one place. Kind of mind-blowing since this is usually spread all over the place. You have to log into so many different things. If this is the year to capture, organize, and monetize your community, head over to circle.so. You can get a free trial and start building your online community right now. Just go to circle.so. You guys, you get the 14-day free trial. So just go and see if it's for you. It's going to streamline everything and make your life so much easier. It's so freaking cool. Want to know a huge secret to my success? Okay, not only my success, but just about every single person that I have interviewed on this podcast who is successful has this in common. You guys, they love to journal. They capture their life lessons and what they're grateful for. But a lot of people don't keep this up consistently. And most people do know that the research shows that journaling deepens your gratitude and increases self-awareness. But did you also know that journaling decreases stress and helps you achieve your goals faster? In fact, journaling is a huge differentiator between average performers at work and high-performing people. It leads to longer-term clarity, confidence, and success. So why don't more people journal? Why didn't I journal consistently? Honestly, they don't like staring at a blank page. It's hard to carry a book around with you or a notepad, and they just don't even know what to write about, or they just forget. That's why I know that you're going to love Growth Day. It's the world's number one system for self-improvement, and it's like all-in-one personal development in an app. And it has an awesome digital journal, and people love it. Growth Day's digital journal has hundreds of research-backed writing prompts for self-reflection, positive mindset, confidence building, and success. I use them all the time, and it makes me think in ways that I typically don't, and it makes me ask myself better questions, which we all know gets better results in our lives. 
life. It even has prompts that help you develop a daily, weekly, or monthly habit of reflecting on your life and identifying areas to grow. So it's a perfect time of year to start journaling, you guys. When you sign up at Growth Day, you also get systems for habit tracking, goal setting, and scoring and improving every area of your life. Best of all, I get to teach there too, you guys. I'm so excited. I hope that I get to see you. I teach live in Growth Day every single month with a new topic just for you. So join me there. Start your free trial at growthday.com slash Lori. Hey, I know if you're listening to this podcast that you have big dreams and big goals. And one of the things that can really stop you is struggling with your marketing. Trust me, I have been there. Are you using 10 different systems just to build your online business? Then I want you to try Kajabi. Kajabi helps you build your web pages, set up funnels, and sell your courses, content, coaching, or communities. You've been hearing me talk a lot about funnels on this podcast and the importance of your email list. You can get a free trial at kajabi.com. That's K-A-J-A-B-I.com. I've talked about Kajabi before, but here's something that's super cool and new. They just rolled out an AI assistant for creating your online course curriculum. And this means you just type in a topic that you wanna create on a course or webinar and bam, it just generates a sample outline for you. It takes a ton of the hard work away. Of course, you're gonna customize it to be your own, but this really helps you get over the struggle of how in the world to start which is where most people stop. If you're like me, starting is always the hardest part and that's what makes Kajabi so popular. They've made it easier for creators to build web pages, build courses, build coaching programs, build membership sites, build checkout pages and build email funnels. So if you're struggling with any of those, you gotta go check it out. Go to kajabi.com. Kajabi was really the first all-in-one system and is trusted by over 100,000 creators. I think that's good enough for me. Also as influencers and marketers who use this and now their smart AI platform makes it easy to take what you know and turn it into an online course and business. Go start building with a free trial at kajabi.com. That's K-A-J-A-B-I.com.